Hello and welcome to CoffeeCon 2020 with My Child First. Our guest today is Barbara Decker and she's a mentor for APA. After teaching childbirth for almost 50 years and working as a doula for almost 25 years, the birthing community is home for Barbara. When she became involved in hypnobirthing in APA, a whole new aspect of life was uncovered, the gestational period. Once exposed to the prenatal and perinatal psychology and health, and the opportunity to study with Dr. Strong. The love of birthing women turned into a passion about this prenatal education. Prenatal bonding empowers a woman to trust her instinct and listen with her heart to the bond growing within her, the baby she loves and wants to nourish, not just with food, but with emotion. So it is my privilege to welcome to our CoffeeCon 2020, Barbara Tecker. Uh, with Bar- I, I first heard Barbara when I was doing a course with the Bond University, and I was always curious. And my journey is quite similar to hers because I started as a childbirth educator, then a doula, and then found myself with hypnobirthing and APA. So welcome, Barbara. Oh, thank you so much, Divya. I didn't realize that you did the greatest pregnancy ever, too. Did yes. you finish that program, too? Yes, I did. Oh, see, I've used a lot of that information. That was my first. That was my first certificate in prenatal bonding. Yep, yes. mine yeah. too. Mine too. Yeah. So, so there's a lot that I resonated with. So, yes. um, my journey with prenatal uh, work started, or prenatal psychology started with hypnobirthing. So, tell us, how did you get interested in this? Into the prenatal period? Oh, it was hypnobirthing. Because, you know, we have to, we, every year we have to renew and we have to read two books yeah. and our book report. And I just happened to glance at The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. I picked up that book and I got mad, Divya, because I'd been teaching regular childbirth classes for years and years and years. And nobody mentioned the importance of, of bonding with the baby in the womb. We... Penny Simpkins certainly talked about singing, reading to the baby in the last trimester. They, they talked about it in the last trimester, but nobody ever brought up the fact that these babies need to feel welcomed into the world. And that means the mother's getting connected with them throughout the whole pregnancy. And, and so I really got quite angry that I'd been letting down my students all those years of not passing on this incredible information. So once I found out about that, I found out where Dr. Verney was. It was APA, and I became an avid member of APA. In my first APA conference, I remember meeting David Chamberlain, and it was in Japantown in San Francisco, my first time. and. I have to say it was the most heartwarming, welcoming group of people that David came up to me as I was walking back to my room and he said, I haven't seen you around here before. Tell me about yourself. And he took my arm and walked me over to the elevator. And I just couldn't believe the kindness of the people that belong to APA. And I became become an avid member. So it was hypnobirthing that brought me to that point. 
And then through APA, I was able to have the experience of training with Dr. Gerhard Schroth um, from Germany as a psychoanalyst. And his program was two and a half years long. Now, I didn't plan on taking that program. I didn't have the money. I was old. (laughs) And um, I didn't feel qualified. But Gerhard called me from Germany after he met me, and he said, I want you in this program. You have medical knowledge. You've been working with mothers and babies for years. This program is written for anyone, anyone that wants to assist women in bonding with their babies and dads bonding with their babies, partners, whoever the life group is. And... Um, And I had the fortune of actually doing that program. It was two and a half years long. And I thank Gerhardt every single day that he talked me into taking the program. So I've actually sent you, Divya, through an email, a bunch of resources that you can pass out to all of the people that were interested in seeing it. All the different programs from programs in India to programs that we have here in the United States. Okay, I will do that. I think our viewers will love that. But tell us simply, what is prenatal bonding? Prenatal bonding is literally helping a mother be more sensitive to realizing what what power she has over the growth of the baby from everything we think that you feed a baby that's all you need to do but if you stop and think about it the baby's nervous system is growing the brain is growing all of that is taking place within the womb and bruce lipton is one of our avid supporters And Bruce says, this baby is receiving information. The baby is receiving information. Am I welcome in this world? Do I have to protect myself? Do they really want me? Those babies are going to put their energy into protecting themselves. And it changes the architecture of the brain. When set a family is set to get pregnant they want this baby to come into the world then they put out this wonderful positive energy for the child to be conceived and as the child is being conceived and formed this beautiful environment of love is around the family so let's put it this way If you were a baby, what hormones would you rather feel? Would you rather feel your mother's stress hormones, which are stressing you out? Or would you rather feel the love from your parents that are welcoming you into the womb? So that's where... Definitely love. that That is exactly what Bruce is saying is when the baby is welcomed to the womb with love, then as those cells divide, they're dividing with positive energy, loving energy. 
that's going to build a healthy brain, that's going to build a healthy nervous system. And the children, the babies in the womb, they call them fetuses in the medical world, will have the ability to grow and put their arms and say, oh, they want me. This is so wonderful. (laughs) So this, this is so critical because most of science has only been paying attention to the last trimester. And granted, the brain is expanding and all the connections are going on. Everything is connecting. But what about this little baby from the time that he's being formed? What kind of energy are we building around this baby growing in our womb? And one of our biggest challenges in the United States is 45% of the babies are not planned for and about 18% aren't even wanted. Mm-hmm. So and it, it's very sad. It's very sad. Now, in India, um, it's it culturally, it is not accepted to have a pregnancy before you get married. Is from my what I understand, so yeah. I don't know what your statistics are in India. I'm not sure I know the st- the stats here either, but uh, those things are changing. We do have single mothers. There's more acceptance, but as a culture, we look at babies as divine beings. Yes, absolutely. Also, as a culture, we sometimes a large part of us believe in rebirth, so we think of the soul as that divine, uh, you know, uh, uh, consciousness that is coming. And that in itself is is valued. So in some ways, babies have a protective layer around them because of their culture. But having said that, with, with uh, I mean, with a lot of growth or change in society, uh, I think women are under a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, but they're trying to balance their careers. They're getting married. They're still getting to know their husbands. And then there's this bio clock. And somehow we feel that our optimal years are being pulled in both directions, career and babies. Yes. That becomes challenging, of course, for us as well. Yes. Now, I'm just curious. Um, I have heard, and I, this may, may not be true, but the grandparents play a big role. Yes. And bringing up the children, so uh, they, yes, they do. They do. They used so, to, um, not not so much in every household because now we have nuclear families. People are going to different cities and states to work in. But we did have a system uh, even a generation ago. I was brought up, uh, and I had the presence of all my grandparents, and they were a big factor in my growth. So we'd say a generation ago they were playing a very big part. Now we're becoming more independent nuclear households, more and more so, and um, they're playing a little lesser role, but there is a big part even so. Sure. So uh, with your culture, though, it, it, it's, you're meant to produce. You're meant to be out there working. Yeah. And, and the, I think the important point is working is wonderful. Some stress is actually good for a baby because it helps them realize that life is going to have some stressful time and life is going to have some calm time. So what we're talking about with prenatal bonding is being having the, the woman or the partner 
be able to come home from work and put their hands on their belly and say, oh, now it's time for you, little baby. <laughs> and babies feel touch from eight weeks on. Yeah. From yeah. Eight weeks on, they feel those sensations. And in India, from what I learned from my friends in India, um, at the Manishakti Center in Lanavla, Lanavla, and then from Omnio Future in yes. Bangalore, they have they work with couples that are newly pregnant. No, they're waiting for their babies. Yes. They're newly married. They want to have a baby, so they get their relationship in order. Yeah, and then each month they have special programs to con connect with the baby in the womb all through the pregnancy. So, so we have a cultural construct here. Yeah, um, you've got 6,500 years of knowledge <laughs> ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. So because we consider babies to be divine beings, we consider uh, the scriptures have actually uh, set uh, formats about certain rituals that orient the parents to the baby. Now, over a period of time, Barbara, We've taken the essence out of those and just left them as, uh, you know, routines rather than rituals. And if we look at their, their essence, they, their intention is to bring the mother, the father, their intentions into alignment to welcome this baby. And um, But now that we are all global and modern, what would you say would be some of the things that people can do as prenatal bonding. Okay. Um, I see what I see here in the United States is I see people working for Microsoft and they're working 14, 16 hours a day. And oftentimes they don't even have time for a childbirth class and they just go hit their baby. And there's this very little time for baby that I can see. And, um, I think that's why I think it's so important. That's why I wrote Empowering Pregnancy Program. Um, I wrote that right after we did the Greatest Pregnancy Ever program um, and named it that because it's so important for our parents to know that they need to take this time with the baby. And um, ways that they can do it each day is singing in the shower. Singing anytime when you're out for a stroll, music, listening to music. They love babies, love Vivaldi. Their ears are perfectly tuned at four months in the womb. So music, they like things with a rhythm. And there are there are ultrasounds showing the baby breathing to the rhythm of the music. Oh. They're just so, they, they enjoy that. They do not enjoy Beethoven. Beethoven is bangy and strong and loud. They prefer Mozart or Rivaldi as, as composers. Melodious. Yes. Yes. And um, so a simple thing, like maybe once a week, sit down and write your baby a letter about how happy you're, you're you are that this pregnancy is moving along and that the baby is coming to you. And these are things that you can show your child later on as they grow up. 
so that they know not only do they feel it, but they'll also learn it, which will help them be better parents down the road. And they'll have this knowledge. So taking pictures as, uh, of the pregnancy as it's expanding because the, the body changes so much. And oftentimes a woman doesn't feel beautiful as her belly is, is expanding. And, and really it's such a beautiful thing to think and know that you are growing a healthy, welcomed baby into the world. So writing, singing, listening to music, touching your belly, rubbing your belly, all of these things are a connection where you can give love. You're sending the oxytocin. Okay. You had a stressful day. You're, you're putting down cortisol, stress hormones. And it's wonderful to come home from work and switch because cortisol and oxytocin cannot run at the same time. So as a baby, you want to be feeling that oxytocin. Now, for those that didn't plan on getting pregnant and they find out and it's an oops, what do we do? It's never too late to repair even if it wasn't planned with welcome open arms. Once you have decided that you want this baby to stay with you, you need to talk to the baby. You can do it with your mind. You can do it with your voice. You don't have to have anybody around, but you can speak your peace to your baby so that you're sending that love and saying, we were really scared in the beginning. We weren't really sure if you should come to us. But we want to reassure you that you're welcome now. And we are going to continue our beauty and our friendship and our caring to this, through this pregnancy. Because there have been cases some of my prenatal bonding cases that when we were studying the course with Dr. Schroth, there was a couple that weren't ready for the pregnancy, didn't think they were going to keep the pregnancy, and the baby knew it. <laughs> when the woman was actually in labor, after she had gone through the prenatal bonding program with the original planner of this organization, of um, it's actually Janai Rafai is his name, and he's a Hungarian psychiatrist. During the labor, the baby's heartbeat started dropping, and they thought they'd have to do a cesarean. So they called Janai up from the hospital. He said, remember when you weren't sure you wanted that baby? Reassure him. Now. Heartbeat regulated, rest of the birth went fine, and that baby was welcomed into the world. So these little babies are sentient, just like you say. They have a soul. They have feelings. They are absorbing everything that is going on around them as they're growing in the womb. So whenever there needs to be repair, whenever you've had an argument with your partner, and you're really angry about something, they're feeling that. 
it's time to have a conversation afterwards and talk about it and say, honey, we had, dad and I had a little argument, (laughs) but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it was about you. We both want you. We both love you. And we want you to know that. And um, so even when you've had something stressful, like, um, uh, you know, almost having a a car, a car accident or something where your heart starts racing like mad, when your heart races, the baby's heart races. And it takes ourselves to learn to be in tune to calm the baby down. So women can be so empowered when they know they can make a difference in that brain structure, the nervous system of that baby, it can become a part of life that they want to do every single week. Now, with the prenatal bonding program that I trained with the psychiatrist, all the programs are, are different. You and I took one that was for general groups, letting them know how, how the babies how the babies react when mom gets stressed out. But they also were, it's, it was important that the mother had come to grips with any of her weaknesses so she didn't pass this anxiety on to the baby. Same thing, it's important for the partner. And it's also important, as I have learned over the years, that however you were born can make a difference in the way you birth your babies. That's interesting. I never had learned that. Yeah, that's interesting. Tell us more about that. Um, well, I can't give you the research article where I, where I had read that, um, if, well, all right, let's go back to in Sweden, they did a research project on mothers that had medication during the birth and those children had a tendency to, um, use drugs later on in life. Mm Okay. Okay. So the story that I had read, and I I can't give you the project, unfortunately, but it stuck in my mind that if the father was born with drugs in his system, he would have more of a tendency to want his wife to take drugs because he doesn't want her to be uncomfortable. And if the woman had been born without drugs, and she wants this natural birth, they need to come to sync. And she needs to be able to tell him, I really want to do this as long as possible. I'd like to have this natural birth, and I need you to support me. So this is an important conversation. If the mother had been born with drugs, she has a tendency to lean more towards drugs during her birth. And um, so you go back, we go back one generation and maybe more if possible, how grandmother was born, how mother was born can cause intergenerational stress that prepares the mother with anxiety about her birth. 
If you heard from your mother, well, perfect example. We're both hypnobirthing practitioners. What did Mickey hear from her mother? Oh, your birth was so painful. It was so painful. And she always, she used to feel guilty that she caused her mother so much pain. And then she'd see the cats and the dogs. They'd have their babies and they'd purr. And she thought, now, wait a minute. Something's not right here. Yeah. <laughs> Something's not right here. I think that if we relax more, like the animals relax, we could probably have better births. <laughs> and that's what that's what got Mickey started with her with her hypnobirthing. Those examples, knowing knowing that there was a better way to do things, and um, so she followed she followed those those teachings of Grantley Dick Reed, and in relaxation, the the triangle, you have fear causes pain, causes tension, which causes pain in the end. The more relaxed a mother is, the better the baby can do the work to be born. Now, let's put this together with prenatal bonding. Okay. When your baby feels welcomed, when your baby feels loved, you're more in tune with talking to them through the whole pregnancy. The whole pregnancy, that baby is there growing in your womb. And the love that you're sending there, it's never too early to tell that baby that you love them. And that's one of the reasons that I'm in this field. Yeah. I don't remember a mother and mother telling me uh, hardly at all that she loved me. And when I had my children... I knew I wanted them to know they were loved. I was so excited myself when I was pregnant because I really wanted these children. I wanted to be able to love them because I didn't feel loved. And that's one of the reasons I came into the field. I think a lot of people enter this field because they didn't always get the best loving start. And we want our parents to know, wow, we can change society. We can shift to compassion, to love, to caring, to better health, because yeah. we know that the stress that's going on with a lot of the pregnant mothers is actually having an impact in long-term illness for the lifelong of that baby. There is a uh, doctor by the name of uh, Veronica Mead, um, Veronica Mead, Mead um, that spoke at one of the last APA conferences. She has been doing research on the amount of stress the mothers have during the pregnancy and how it impacts the lifelong health of the child from the from the womb. And uh, that's another resource. I didn't put it on there, but you'll find her um, on the Apple website. She's written some articles for the journal. So that's that's one of the reasons that I became a childbirth educator. I, I really wanted these these babies. I wanted to be able to love them. And it was my own childbirth experience the first time around that really wasn't pretty. <laughs> I guess it's true for a lot of childbirth and birth workers. It's true for a lot of us. 
that we, yeah. we want to make that repair. And it's quite instinctive. We want to support our sisters to not have the same experiences that we've had. Or ha- or the other side, if we've had a really ecstatic one, even that can be inspiring for us to come into the field. Absolutely. Because um, I don't think that um, the medical field understands how much they scare our parents. When um, it, Certainly in the United States, we have, um, it goes by risk. And doctors really have to do defensive medicine in the birthing world because they don't want to be sued. The baby has to be perfect. Now, Lord knows every so often a baby may not be perfect, but it'll be perfect in another way. That's just the way the world is and the way the universe is. That doesn't mean that that baby can't be loved. That doesn't mean that the baby shouldn't be treated with dignity and care and love and welcoming just like any other baby. And that's, that's kind of my, my stick, Divya, is um, when I started doing, when I did the prenatal bonding program with Gerhardt, you normally start couples around the, anywhere after the 15th week of pregnancy, okay? And um, I had some of my moms that when they went, to, when they peed on a stick and found out they were pregnant, they wanted to start right then and there. Why not? Why not? And what we do is a very intense history on the family's relationships and how they were born and how everything is related between their in-laws and, and their outside relationships and so forth so that we learn about the past with the couples. And I encourage that. I actually encourage that with my hypnobirthing students now. I encourage them to go back to their parents and ask them how they were born. Because this I even started doing from the Greatest Pregnancy Ever program. And... Um, I remember one of the first couples that I worked with oh, probably eight years ago before I ever finished Ger- did Gerhardt's program. They, I sent them back to ask their parents how they were born and um, what was their birth like and what, was their, what were their early years like. Well, daddy is a very was a very anxious person debating whether they dared have a baby, workaholic. Mama had a mother that was misperfection. Could never do anything right. Perfect, just like the mother. She was afraid of being a mother. So they weren't sure if they wanted to have a baby. I asked them to get some family therapy mm-hmm. to strengthen their relationship together. When daddy went to his mother to find out what was happening during his pregnancy, it was during Vietnam, oh. during the war. She was pregnant during wartime, running from the bombs. And that's where his rat race attitude I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to run. I've got to run. I very little time off. Got to 
produce. And so he found out where he was coming from. He quit his job. He got a job that had less stress and started spending more time with us at home. They started doing things together. She felt stronger. And they finally decided that it was a safe time to have a baby because their relationship was strong. So partway through the pregnancy, I encouraged the prenatal bonding, but not the full program. And she said, well, I've got all these books to read. I've got this to do. And I got that. I don't think I can have time for it. I don't think I can make time for the prenatal bonding program. And so I said, okay. And then within a few days later, she says, no, I changed my mind. I want to do it. When we did the first engagement with the baby session, it's a relaxation that we do. The mother engages with the baby. It's just focus time intention just for the baby. And anybody can make focus time and intention to talk to their baby and feel their babies. When she did that, she started sobbing. And that's when the books fell away. All the work and things she had to get done were no longer important. She never thought she could love a baby as much as she was loving this child in the womb. And this was, oh, the, she must be eight years, eight or nine years old now. They have such a healthy relationship. This little girl is so happy. And the, the woman went from being the daughter of the mother to being the mother of the baby. And that's what you want to happen with prenatal bonding. They make that shift. That's the baby teaching the parents how to be, you know, it's another, it's another chance of reinventing yourself. Absolutely. And that becomes the bottom line. Um, do I have enough time to tell you one of my very special stories? Okay. Yes, of course. I have I have permission to share this. Uh, a woman uh, called uh, contacted me from Europe, and her water had released at eighteen between eighteen and nineteen weeks of pregnancy. She had been encouraged by the medical staff to abort the baby. They said the baby's lungs would never develop. This was this woman's third IVF her last chance of having a baby. She called me when she was a few weeks, maybe 21 weeks. The baby, she'd been able to keep the baby in that long. And she'd heard about the prenatal bonding. And her, she said, I, I don't know how long I can keep this baby, but I want this baby to feel so loved that she wants to come into the world. So we did the prenatal bonding three times a week, sometimes in the hospital, sometimes at home, depending on her circumstances. She had water loss. She had some bleeding throughout the whole, this full pregnancy time. 
but we met three times a week, reminding this baby, connecting mom and baby to that beauty in the womb. And the baby stayed in till 30 weeks. 30 weeks, in which case we also, because with hypnobirthing and with hypnotherapists, I had her envisioning the baby's lungs opening and closing. The baby went to the NICU in two days. She was off a ventilator at 30 weeks when she was born. So she had some time in the NICU at get a Christmas card every year. She's about three or four years, three years old, I think now, maybe four. And no residual damage whatsoever for that experience being in the womb. No eyesight problems, no physical problems. Lungs are fine. She's healthy. She's got a good immune system. That's the power of love. The, the protective power, power of love. Protected power of love. Now, when I took her on, I said there are no promises. But at least every day that your baby's in your womb and you're sending them love, that baby will feel loved no matter what the end result is. And it won't be regretted. There are some religions that tell people not to bond with the baby in the womb because so many of them lost babies. They say it's going to be so hard, you know, if the baby doesn't stay with you then don't get attached to the baby. But, no. yeah, you know, and it just it, 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 it puts, they don't dare get attached. So how do you think that baby's feeling inside? I want you to say something. I want you to feel something. And it must be hard for them to, to be in there and not have, not feel that oxytocin. So that's why you and I are doing this important work to teach every mother, every birthing mother, going into a family, no matter what the configuration is, it's the love that that baby's going to receive before the baby's born, as well as afterwards. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for us to get this word out, Divya. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. So... I have other ones. I can share some other stories. Yes, please do. I think it's very inspiring to hear stories because, you know, I think instinctively women do feel that connection. And then there are these layers and layers of what people are saying, including when somebody says, don't get too attached. But also this outside world tells us that these babies are mass of cells. The word fetus itself is so dispassionate. It's so distant. As if it doesn't, it isn't alive yet, or it doesn't have a personality yet. But when we call them babies, then they become real. So yes, yeah, we're we're nine months too late. We're actually eighteen months too late, according to Bruce Lipton, because Bruce believes you should prepare for the baby nine nine months ahead of time yeah. uh, with eating proper foods, both you and your partner. Yeah. Proper foods, healthy outlook. Good relationship, strong relationship. So when this baby does conceive, come into the world with positive energy, positive energy. And a lot of people 
don't understand how important that positive energy is. You and I are doing, you know, did the PPNE program and we learned about epigenetics. The environment around that pregnant woman makes all the difference in the world the way the baby is relates to the rest of the world. And so we know that, and that's why we're so passionate about spreading the word of the prenatal bonding. Absolutely. So there's, there's different ways. You can do a formal program where with Gerhardt's, we meet around anywhere after, well, is whenever you want to start during the pregnancy. And and then you we work with you all the way up to the end to the end of the pregnancy. I meet with you every week. That's that's an intensive one. Yeah. Anything we can do for the groups to for example, in Japan and I believe in China. They used to get pregnant women together and sing lullabies to the babies. Routine. You know that Michael Orant used to do that. He used to have these pregnant women sing together at the careers. Yes. And how do you think those babies feel in there? They're going to be looking forward to the next week and the next week and the next week to feel that welcoming. And when they come into the world, they're going to be ready to come in because they know they're loved. Oh, I remember something really interesting. I, I was a doula for a woman doing a water birth, and she was really progressing well. And at some point, it stopped a little bit. And then, you know, everybody got caught up with, oh, what's wrong? And then suddenly the dad out of nowhere took out the guitar and started playing the guitar. And he was doing that every day for the baby. And then 20 minutes later, the baby arrived. Oh, I know that. I want to go there. <laughs> That's my concert. Wonderful. And it's so great to include the importance of the partner in there whenever possible. Yeah. Whenever possible. Because the caregivers are the key. And um, mama, we have to say, is number one. And um, and that's the that is a first relationship. Being a first relationship, that relationship needs to be strong. Because it can make a difference through relationships for the rest of your life. And that's another reason our work is so important. Our babies need to count on us. They can't walk to the kitchen. They can't change their diapers. They need us to take care of them. Where any animal in nature spends about two years with their little ones staying right nearby, breastfeeding them, taking care of them, carrying them on their backs and so forth. That's another thing that we have learned in our modern culture. We should be baby carrying our babies <laughs> yeah. because they feel secure when they're with us. They hear your heartbeat. You're not going to spoil them if you pick them up. I was taught that. Oh, don't pick up that baby too early. The baby's going to, every time the baby cries, they're going to get manipulative. They don't have the brain power to be manipulative. They just need secure love. And our job is to do that. And that's why women should have time off after the birth 
to be able to nurse for at least a year, if not two years, be paid from if they were working, because that's investing in this future generation. The studies are showing emotional intelligence happens from preconception to nine months after the baby's born, where the baby is loved, responded to, and stimulated with love. They can withstand practically anything that happens to them later in life. We're setting the foundations of the new generation. Absolutely. But how few families know it needs to start nine months earlier. They're not blank slates when they're born. And what was interesting, Divya, I just found a lovely book that two doulas had written. And it's called, um, they asked me to do the uh, foreword for the book. And it's called Nature's Master Plan for Birth. And as I read that, it reminded me of Grantly Dick Reed's Childbirth Without Fear. Because they're trying to bring back families to understand we're so brainwashed with fear. And it's been passed on with the media and with the medical field and everything, how difficult birth is. When 85% of us would birth our babies if somebody just sat there and knitted. (laughs) 85% of babies would be born without interventions if we just let them have them. If the mother stayed calm, allowed the birth to take place the way that it should as nature intended. So I decided to go back and read Grantly Dick Reed's book from the 1940s. And you know what was so sad? Nothing's changed in 80 years. <laughs> in birth or in medical fields? In medical field. Yeah, that's true. That's really sad. Back then, it was the newspapers that scared them. It was the bad birth stories that scared them. The practitioners still wanted to intervene and use drugs because they felt the woman was in such terrible pain, they had to relieve them. And we know, we know, scopolamine, they were out of their minds when they were using that drug. Climbing out of the bed, they had to be strapped to the bed because it was an amnesiac, and they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. the babies would be born and they'd be so drugged afterwards, some of them didn't want to breathe. That that was practice back then, typical. And even they were using chloroform. Chloroform makes you pass out. Yeah. Which is <laughs> which is Mickey's story, which he tells. Absolutely. They used ether, they used chloroform. And um when I first started out in the childbirth field, there was a doctor there that that um I've been teaching for probably four years, and this one particular physician said, the birthing room, that's my birthing room. You will have spinal anesthesia because I am in control of this birth. And nobody could have their baby without having spinal anesthesia. He wouldn't allow it. And they'd have to be pulled out with forceps. Yes. And then then they put up all these practices because of all these drugs in the baby of you know, cutting the cord quickly, separating, resuscitating. And now uh, we're still doing it, 
even though we've realized, oh, you know, the chloroform was not so good, the ether was not so good, but the practices that they, that came from that behavior, the, the listless babies who needed resuscitation, were still rushing to suction them and do things to them. So basically we've broken something and then we're, we're looking at that as the foundational model of how we behave. And I think that is such a disservice. But I also feel that now when moms and babies are connected, and I saw that through hypnobirthing, it was just the brief uh, part that we do of loving your baby. Uh, I found that these parents who did, who were bonding with the babies or who were looking at the baby as a person started to make different choices in birth, Barbara. Yes. So interesting to watch. I know. I've had people switch from hospital to birth center to home birth yes. in one class <laughs> yes. to make the switch because so, they, they, yeah, as long as that pregnancy is a healthy pregnancy, we need to have more midwifery care. Yeah. And by that, midwifery care is not having the medical field interfering. But what Dick Reed was stating in his book 80 years ago is that we're men. We were taught these procedures. We are emergency. We're there for that challenge. And so it becomes a challenge. And there are doctors out there now. We have Michelle O'Donnell. We have our medical director at APA who has a bunch of midwives in his practice, and they have very few interventions. There's another hypnobirthing doctor down there in San Diego, because uh, we've seen Jay Warner talk, and he's another hypnobirthing person, and he's also another PPNE, and they're having very few interventions during the pregnancy, they are having beautiful births in that doctor. Um, and Sandy, he says, I'm in and out of the hospital. Those other guys are hanging around for hours and everything. <laughs> but I'll take my hypnobirthing mothers anytime because they know what they're doing and they know their business. <clears throat> so um, it, in all reality, our job is going to be to teach the women not to fear pregnancy to love those babies, and then to learn how birth can be with slow, comfortable breathing, understanding how the neocortex is stimulated with bright lights. When animals have their babies, they go in a dark hole where they feel safe, and that's where we need to be is we need to be inside and feel safe. And that means dark rooms. We can have those beautiful births even in a hospital yeah. when you have the right practitioner that understands it. And I was fully blessed by a hospital in, um, in Seattle here that asked me to come in and talk to the nurses about how to work with hypnobirthing parents because they were coming in very late in labor and they wanted to know how they could care for them the best. And um, basically hands off, yeah. do what you have to for their vital signs, but let the woman birth without interference. And it's greatly respected at the hospital where I teach. Greatly respected. So one last question for you. 
if you we've been talking about PPNE program and APA, if you could just briefly tell us what is APA. What is APA? Oh, that's that's not hard to explain at all. Dr. Bernie, who is a psychiatrist, and David Chamber, Chamberlain, who was a psychologist, were talking at a an um, association of um, APA, American Psychological Association. They met up and they had both studied a little bit of hypnosis and they found that some of their patients when they were regressing back to early childhood actually went back to the womb. And they'd never heard that that was possible before. That is our implicit memory. We have an explicit memory, which is from usually from about three years old on, we can remember things, but we have an implicit memory where it's stored in ourselves, in our body and deep inside our subconscious. And the two of them ended up saying, how, we never thought that people could remember their births. They had stories were, and they're written in their books, Windows to the Womb, The Secret Child of the un, uh, Unborn the Secret Life of the Unborn Child. unborn Child. But Windows to the Womb, um, Baby Remembers Birth, what they, when their, their patients were coming to see them for emotional problems that were actually stemming from back as far as the womb. So what they did was they wrote up each of their stories from these, the family. They had them go back to their parents, ask their parents what happened during the birth, what happened during the pregnancy. And the parents would often say, how could you know? You, you weren't here yet. How could you know these things? And one example I, I'll give, because it's from David's book, um, there was someone that had trouble taking hot baths. Simple thing like that. Can't take hot baths. When that person was regressed with David, the person remembered being in the womb and being trying to be washed out by his mother. The mother was trying to abort him. And he went back to the mother and said, what happened when I, I, I was first coming into the world? And she said, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing happened. And it took four tries, three tries, she, she denied anything. The fourth try, she said, how could you know I never told your father? How could you know that? So they verified the stories with the parents and they wrote up this big paper for the APA and the APA laughed at them. Yeah. <laughs> so they started, it had a different name. I think it was called Prana was the first organization that they started. Um, it started with a P. I forget what the initials are. Um, but it became APA. 
And it was the people that believed in preconception, gestation, that babies are knowing and sentient, understand, and our parents need to learn this information so they can love their babies and society will change. That's how APA got started. Two guys talking at a conference and saying, how can this be happening? So they brought it to life, and now here we are all over the world. There's other organizations that are doing similar things. I wish we could all come together and be one because we'd be stronger. But the message is out there that the gestational period is a critical time for our babies. And the sooner our parents fall in love with the babies, touch their bellies, Tell them they love them. Send the oxytocin. The sooner that baby's going to feel welcome in that womb, and that will make a difference. And when I talk about changing the architecture of the brain, I have a book called Enriching Enriching Heredity, and it's by a brain a brain specialist that um, dissects. She worked with rats, but she stressed out the mother rats. Little food, crowding, so forth. Those moms didn't know enough to take care of their babies. They didn't lick them. They didn't pay attention to them. In the other batch, they were well-fed. They were cared for. When those babies were born, they were licked and they were mothered and they were loved. So what they did was they took the babies that didn't know and put them with the mothers that started licking and they started to heal. So it, sometimes it takes a generation, but stress can be carried through a couple of generations. But basically, if you really put the intention into that love, the greater the chance is that you're going to make a difference in that child of yours. So our and stress can be passed on. Healing is always a possibility. Absolutely right. And John Chitty is, he is in heaven now, but John Chitty was one of our famous energy workers uh, with people with trauma. And John, I remember asking him, I said, I've had some families with some pretty bad background. He said, Barb, well, when I say bad, they've had traumatic backgrounds, okay? It's never too late to heal. Never too late to heal. And Dr. Verdi wrote that wonderful article about let's build babies, not jails. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I read that. It was very inspiring. Where does it start? It starts at conception and in the womb. I have a sign right by my door that says, violence starts in the womb. We must pay attention to that and care about our babies. That's a wonderful message. And this, is, this has been so inspiring. And I knew that it would be a very interesting conversation. So it was. Um, Sorry about the little hitch that we had oh, to begin with. I feel terrible about that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But it's this is a wonderful message, and um, I, I I'm really privileged to share it. Thank you so much, Barbara.
Oh, Divya, thank you for, for even with our goof up, you came on and we got to record so somebody can listen to it at some point. All thank right, you. hon, for letting thank me share. Thank you so much for sharing with us.